Um, right. I'm married. My wife's called Amy. Um, we have three children. Uh, Phoebe, who's five. Judah, who's four. And Toby, who's like nine months. So um, if you can tell by the bags under my eyes. <laughs> they keep me very, very busy. Um, no, I work for Lighthouse Community Church, which is just around the coast um, in Sheringham. Um, I do a lot of the community work. So I've, I've been setting up a woodworking shop a community woodworking shop and a community garden slash farm. Um, just trying to break down those barriers, trying to create excuses for people who wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable walking into an environment like this. We've already found they're walking into that environment um, and then finding community, family, love, acceptance. Um, they might not know the words for it, uh, but they're finding Jesus, aren't they? And um, littered with uh, godly people in their mix. So it's um, really great to see how it's already kind of pairing out really so um but yeah I don't want to talk about any of that this morning I want to talk about miracles really the miraculous and um it's something that is I have seen in my life uh nowhere near as much as I would like and um I remember chatting I do a little bit of discipleship work with a guy who's now just gone off to uni and uh, he was 20 years old when I was having this conversation with him um, but I was telling him stories of the demonic and, and, and healings. And he said, you know what? I've never seen anything like that in my life. And the conversation kind of moved on and it, and it didn't really hit me until I kind of was home and thinking, hang on a minute. He has grown up for 20 years in the church, been in and around the church of Jesus Christ. And he has never seen work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to take responsibility for that, don't we? You can't just say, oh, well, it was, that was their church. and not our... No, no, no. For whatever reason, we have to take responsibility. And it really hit me. I was like, I do not want that to be the case, particularly for young people growing up in North Norfolk, to go, yeah, we've never really experienced anything of the Holy Spirit. And then they move away to uni, and uh, who knows? And uh, for, I, I was kind of like, right, well, we need to start not only talking about the miraculous, we need to start praying for the miraculous and living out uh, the miraculous a lot more than we are. But um, before we get into that, I, I wanna, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the miracles in John. John's laid out, in, interestingly, like the beginning of John, John 1, is Jesus is God. And then the rest of John is, okay, I'm now going to prove it to you by these seven miracles. And we're going to be looking at the first, which is the wedding at Cana. So we're going to be in, in a minute, we're going to be in John 2. Um, someone once told me this, that if you was to give the script of Jesus Christ to four separate film directors, you would get the Gospels, right? So Matthew would be the documentary. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Matthew would be the documentary. It's the longest, isn't it? It's the most detailed. Um, it goes right back, starts with the genealogy, and it's you know really in-depth. Mark is like, I suppose, the action, isn't it? It's the way Mark talks is immediately, he seems to drive you constantly, and it's miracle after miracle after miracle. Um, it doesn't even have time for Christmas, does he, Mark? He's straight in, isn't he? Um, who doesn't have time for Christmas? Um, but he goes straight into it. Luke, I've heard, I'm not sure I quite agree with this, but I've heard it's almost like a sci-fi. Then if you ever like spaceships, that, there's not a spaceship in Luke. But um, being the doctor, I suppose... Uh, and then John, you can't even really say romantic comedy, more like just romance. Many times John re refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. You have the account where he's laying back on 
the chest of Jesus breathing in and listening to his heartbeat. Maybe that is why we have the wedding. He's the only one that talks about the wedding because John loves the wedding. He's Maybe John's a bit more in touch with his emotions and he just can't help himself to write about a wedding. I don't know. But I'm very much glad he did. It's an incredible miracle that is often overlooked. But we're going to read it. So it's John 2, uh, if, you, if you're following. And I'm just going to read from verse 1 for a bit. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, I think he's the only one that can get away with calling someone like that. Woman, (laughs) it's not good, is it? But Jesus gets away with it. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So in our money, if you like, I worked out it's over about a thousand bottles of wine that he later on makes, not to skip ahead to the good bit, but you know, that's how much wine we're talking about. So, uh, So 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, as in they have drunk far too much, they can't no longer taste what they're drinking, then the poor wine... But you have saved the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then this is an interesting verse, a bit out of place, but it just lets you know, after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. Okay. We know that Jesus' mother, Mary, often not only talked about at Christmas time, we're almost at Christmas, aren't we? But we won't say the Christmas word yet, even though I've said it a few times. But Mary's mentioned, Jesus is here, and Jesus' brothers. This would indicate that it's a family affair. It's possible that he was invited, being that he's a rabbi. So in that culture, rabbis were very respected. If you could, if you could get a rabbi to the wedding, it's kind of like, oh, look at us, we've got a rabbi. But it seems to be that because his brothers were there and his mother was there, they either know the groom or the bride. I don't think, possibly, but I don't think it is just another wedding. I think there is some sort of family connection. That's interesting for later on. So just hold that thought. When the wine ran out. Now we think that's, maybe in our context we might say you've invited someone rounds. And uh, you go, oh, do you want a tea or a coffee? And they go, oh, do you know what? I'll have, a, I'll have a cup of tea. And you go, oh, gosh, we haven't got any tea. I've run out of tea. Do you mind if you have coffee? Oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. And you kind of, it's not really a thing, is it? It's kind of a bit embarrassing, but it's not really a big deal. Maybe you're thinking this like, you know, if you're hosting like at Christmas, you think, oh, my goodness, people are coming at Christmas. I can't run out of anything. We buy way too much. And then you end up eating cheesy nibbles for like weeks going on. Very different in this context. 
In this context, if you have run out of something like wine in particular, it was a real disgrace. It would have been talked about. It would have been like, did you hear about that wedding? They ran out of wine. You, you said they ran out of wine? What? Like, it would have been a big deal. Now, weddings, when we talk about weddings, we go, oh, a day? You know, my wedding was a day. Uh, it's a very full-on day. It's absolutely knackering, but it's a day. In this context, we're talking like a week plus, right? So you're thinking you've got a host for that many people, and then they're running out of wine, and then they're going to start complaining? I would have just been like, please, go home. You've been here plenty long enough. Please just go home. But no, no. I think, and remember what I said about a family affair, the wedding? I think Jesus is driven, if you like, or convicted with compassion. And often you read other miracles of Jesus. He is moved with compassion, isn't he? He says, and moved with compassion, he, and then went on to do a miracle. I think it's another one of those. So maybe at first he didn't want to do anything but move with compassion. He knew that the groom or the bride who he knew and loved, they'd be talked about. It would have been disgrace. The groom in particular, this is his first time proving that he can look after his bride. I can provide for my guests. So maybe it was, maybe not. But that's the situation. And there's all the chaos going off around in the background, isn't there? If you've ever been to one of those functions and you know something's going on, but you can't tell the bride or groom, or you can't tell the hosts. So you're talking to people like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Hello. Yeah, go, go, go. But inside you're like, oh my goodness, if they only knew the chaos that's going off in the background. That's what's going on here. And the mother of Jesus seems to be right at the centre of it all. And she knows the one person to go to for the answer. Let's go get Jesus into the situation. So, in comes Jesus. And she says, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I could do a whole sermon on that one verse there. I haven't got time, so we're just going to skip on it for now. What's interesting is she doesn't even respond to that. So what she's saying is, Jesus, they have no wine. And he basically says, no. You ever thought that? He basically says, no. It's not my hour. No. I'm off. She doesn't even respond. She doesn't try to, oh no, please. There's none of that, is there? What does she do? She instantly just turns straight to the servants and say, right, you, 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 do whatever he tells you to do. Really interesting. We often think of Mary as a bit of a meek and mild, always in blue, don't we? Christmas, Mary meek. She would have been a formidable woman. I don't know if this is ever past you. To go through what she went through at like 14, 15, 16, to then still be able to come into a public thing like this, still with a head held high, to deal with all the rejection and the, yeah? And then bring up the Son of God? We think that might have been easy? I don't know. Was he the perfect child? Would you be like, clean your room, and he's just floating somewhere, or I don't know. Mary would have been a formidable woman. Do whatever he tells you. It is such, it's what, five words? But in those five words, everything changes. And she does two things, which we, we, read that, we read that story like that and it is missed on us. So missed. In those five words, she does two things. Number one, she changes a spiritual atmosphere. She changes a spiritual atmosphere. 
Because all of a sudden you've got this chaos going on in the background. We can't tell this lesson. And all this chaos. And the servants there and Mary who seems to be roped into dealing with it all. And Jesus. And this chaos that it cannot necessarily be seen by this eye. And I'm sure you would know of situations where the atmosphere needs changing. The spiritual atmosphere needs changing. And purely by her saying, do whatever he tells you, creates something called expectancy. Expectancy. I think it was Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth. Anyone have heard of that name? If you haven't, he was outrageous. But Jesus, the things he did. Anyway, he was quoted to say, expectancy is the birthplace of the miraculous. Isn't that good? Expectancy is the birthplace of the miraculous. Do you know what our problem often is in relation to expectancy? We expect or we believe God can, but we don't necessarily believe God will. It's only a word. Does it really change that much? It changes everything. We believe God can. He's the king of kings and he can do this and he can do that and he can raise the dead and he can, he can drive out demons. But will he do it in your life? Will he do it in your situation? Will he do it in Bacton? Will he do it today? Like when I lay on hands and pray for people today, is God going to move? I believe he can. Will he do it for me? That is often the sticking point for so many people. That you believe God can, but I don't believe God will for a whole host of different reasons which we'll come on to. And often that is where our expectancy is lacking. But she knows Jesus. Weird, isn't it? Because he's never done any miracles, right? This is his first ever one, we're told. So he's not famous. No one knows about him, but Mary knows. And that's not the Christmas song, Mary, do you know? You know? But she does know who her son is. And she knows what he's capable of, even though he's never done anything yet. And that is why she goes straight to him, because she's expectant that he's going to do something. So in those words, she changes a spiritual atmosphere. Chaos is now displaced. She does something else. She changes the spiritual atmosphere in here, inside. Put yourself in the servant's shoes, right? They're over here, and you're listening to this conversation going on between a mother and a son. You're thinking, oh, it's going to be embarrassing. Like Jesus just said no, and she's gone... Do whatever he tells you to do. And like complete, and you're thinking, oh gosh. And then I'm suddenly thinking, hang on a minute. What could he say? Or what could he do that's going to change this situation? Because remember, he's, to us, he's just a rabbi. He's just a teacher. We've only just kind of heard about. He's not famous. He's never done any miracles. So as a servant, I'm thinking, what earth could he possibly do that's going to fix or change this situation? Does he own his own vineyard or his business? Does he, does he have loads of wine stashed somewhere at the back that we don't know about? What on earth is he possibly going to do? So what does that create inside is, well, I'm going to be looking at Jesus. I'm going to be waiting on Jesus. Because any minute now, he's going to say something. He's going to do something. And I'm going to be right on the word, right on what he's going to do. And something's going to shift. If Mary has the confidence to point him out and say he's going to do something, then as a servant, really, who am I to argue? Okay, he's going to do something. But then our, put it in your context, our position is then, okay, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm waiting on Jesus. He's going to do something. He's going to say something. 
and that's where the expectancy is. You see? Spiritual atmosphere changed. Now, all of a sudden, the servants have got this expectancy inside here. Mary's all had it from the day one, right? But all of a sudden, it's now getting contagious. People are starting to get expectant upon this guy. There's nothing to prove what he's about to do. They're expecting him to do something miraculous. So what to do? We read it. It's not a trick question. He uses what they already have. So often we go, God, give me a miracle. And we expect it for something to be kind of out there in the ether, to suddenly kind of land in your lap. When, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen. There's so many stories where people have prayed for miracles, money has just appeared out of thin air, or, you know, you name it. Amazing stories, right? But nine times out of ten, not out of ten, out of ten, nine times out of ten, you pray for a miracle and God goes, okay, you know that, what I gave you like ten years ago? You remember that, what I spoke to you about in the quiet? Do you remember that, where you've kind of been overlooking? Do you remember that bit of land? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? That's where the miracle is. You're just not seeing it the same way as I. So Jesus goes, okay, what you got? Okay, well, you've got these, these six stone jars for the purification rite. Now, if you know the culture, you know, you know, the roads are dusty and they're covered in animal poo and you're walking around in open-top sandals, okay? That doesn't look very good, does it? When you rock up to a wedding and your feet are caked in all sorts of grime, right? So you go over to these jars and you basically wash from head to toe. You go to jar number one, wash from head to toe. Then you go to jar number two, and you wash from head to toe. Then you go to jar number three, you catch on soon, head to toe. Jar number four, head to toe. Jar number five, yeah, and, but then jar number six, it is head to toe, so I was going to try and trigger, it is head to toe again. But as you can tell, jar number one will be the dirtiest water. Does that make sense? And then as you get down, jar number six is probably the cleanest. Now, we could go into a lot. Again, I haven't got loads of time. Actually, how long do I have? Do I? <laughs> okay. I'll keep going. I'll get hungry at some point and then I'll stop if I lunch. No, that's fine. That's fine. I'll keep going. Um, you have these six stone jars, right? Jesus goes, right, I want you to fill them. Fill them up to the brim. It doesn't say... Take them, sterilize them, clean them out, make sure they're nice and clean because we're going to put wine in. Just, just top them up. Just, just top them up to the brim, right? That's the, that's the dirty kind of water, isn't it? Like, have you ever, anyone made wine here? Yes, great, yeah. Anyone made wines, beers, yeah, or chutneys and stuff, you know, home? You have to sterilize everything, right? You have to be really careful. So you understand that's a recipe for disaster, right? And you're now going to fill that up with this kind of horrible, filthy, dirty-ish water. But they do it. And he says, what, now take some out. And he takes them out. Now go give it to the bridegroom. So the master of the feast. Now, as a servant, I'm thinking, are you joking? I know what kind of water that is. You always take a cup of that water out and go and give it to someone to drink. They're probably going to die or get some sort of disease. But they do it. Thank God people who serve, who just say, yes, I will do it, God. Doesn't make any sense, but I'm just going to do it, okay? Thank God for those people. And they just grab a cup, and we don't know at what point this water turns into wine, but they take that water out, and they go over, and they give it to him. The master speaks, and he drinks it. This is good wine. 
This is the best wine. There's a great little parallel here. I don't know if you've missed it. But the number six in the Bible represent the number of man. So you kind of wash yourself these six times to be clean. It comes from Moses and in the wilderness and how to get right and purified before speaking to God. Well, six times is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion that you see in Scripture. So you see this lovely little parallel to, you've done all this work, but it hasn't really been finished. You're not really clean. There's a, there's a new wine coming, and it's a lovely little picture of Jesus, isn't it? And his blood, that we've just had it, haven't we? That cleanses you completely, makes you completely righteous. Again, that's another sermon in itself, isn't it? But um, You did a good job, by the way. <laughs> it was two sermons in one today. Look at that. But, good wine. Good wine. I know so many people, I chat to so many people that have a list, as long as there are of excuses, why God cannot use them. Why they do not see miracles. Why, why oh, well, you know, that's great, but you don't know what happened in my past. You, oh, yeah, but this happened to me. It wasn't even my fault, but this happened to me. And I just feel, you know, I just make me dirty. Or, you know, actually, oh, yeah, wow, you know, I was, I, was, I was a real idiot. And, you know, my marriage broke down. Maybe that's why God's not using me. God trusted me at one point and, and you know, with, with money or a business and that, just, and that failed. And you know, yeah, I think he's, he's moved on now to someone else. Man, does age play a big factor? Man, I'm too old. I'm in my 60s now, my 70s now, my 80s now. Man, I'm too young. I'm only 12, 13, 14. You know, there's never a right age. I've not, I always wondered, right, what is that age, right? I seem to have missed it all of us. Like, I was growing up and I was thinking, oh, do you know, when I get to a certain age, it's really good. Right, I'm 30 now. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, where was it? Where, did, did I have missed it? Am I in it now? Like, it doesn't seem to be an age. One of my favorite quotes about the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Or an OH pensioner Holy Spirit. Let me add that. Right? It's just Holy Spirit. And he can talk just as powerfully through my daughter, who's five, than you can through me. Can you not? Or do we believe in a different God? Right. And he can talk just as powerfully through you as he can through someone who you see on telly. Amen? But we hold up our list of excuses, don't we? Yeah, but I'm dirty water. Yeah, but this story, does this story not tell you that Jesus can take the dirtiest of water and transform it into good wine. Good wine. So what does that mean then, I suppose, for you and me? Well, be expectant. First of all, there'll be atmospheres, there'll be situations. Sometimes we don't like the word atmospheres. I do. But, okay, there's situations. You might, your home, or a neighbour's house, or when you go and see relatives, their house. Might be a workplace. Might be a particular shop. Do you expect God to break into that situation? Is there an atmosphere that needs changing? Often that happens in people's homes. Actually, an atmosphere does need shifting because you've got two people who have been brought up with who knows what in their, in their history, in their background, now coming together to set up a home. Sometimes something needs breaking off. It's definitely a workplace. That happens a lot, particularly if you work in a workplace that is non, non-faith-based, non-Christian-based. I, I do a whole number of different things. So I work for the church at Lighthouse. I also run my own business. 
I started when uh, the first lockdown happened, but that's okay because that's in my home. But I also am an on-call firefighter. So, and because I work from home, I can give availability. Now that is, a gr- that is an environment without Jesus, let me tell you. Right? Now I used to work on building sites. That was also an environment without Jesus. Very similar. So what atmosphere needs breaking off? You know, and often... When you walk into a situation, you know you walk in with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? He goes with you. He goes before you. Right? So when you walk through the doors, God's entered the building. Sometimes we try, oh God, would you just change this? No, no, just invite yourself in. Just make an excuse. I'm very good at doing that. That's literally my job at Lyle. Making excuses to get people to get together. Right? Any excuse you like. Make an excuse to shake a hand. Right? Just go, Hello. Right? We're in a culture where people can't even not shake your hand, really. All you have to do is, oh, really good to see it. They want to shake your hand. They can't help it sometimes. Right? There's, an, there's a moment there where something can exchange, can't it? Right? What atmosphere needs shifting? Have a think. Have a moment. Just, okay, what atmosphere? What situations do I go in? My neighbour, literally next to me. Do they know Jesus? If they don't, an atmosphere needs shifting. Sometimes we think of it as like, oh, when, I, when I'm seeing the demonic, then I know an atmosphere needs shifting. No, 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 no. If they don't know Jesus, an atmosphere needs, just have it that way around. What atmosphere needs shifting? And then expectancy in here. How long has it been since you've seen a miracle? If I was to really challenge myself with that, I would go, oh, good, actually, gosh. You know, there's things I could put down, oh, that was a coincidence. And maybe it was a miracle. And when was the last time I would say, hand to heart, God was at display. A life was transformed. God spoke and something shifted. A healing took place. I want my kids to grow up with me telling them stories. of, oh, And not stories of, oh, do you remember back 20 years ago? I want them to grow up and they're telling their own stories. I want to grow up and they're doing the stuff and they're telling me the stories. That's how I want my children to grow up. I don't want them growing up and saying, oh, you know, let me tell you a story when I was young and I prayed this. I don't want that. I mean, that's great. It can encourage faith. But if that's all we've ever got is harking back to 20, 30, 40 years ago, has God been silent for 40 years? I'd argue he's not. He really hasn't. So what's not quite at alignment here? Is it God or is it us? Exactly. Well, it's never him, is it? Let's be honest. It's, um, it's an easy one, isn't it? It's never God. So we go, oh, God, man. Okay, you re- you're, if you're, and that's his character. He constantly wants to break into a situation, to a person's life. So if he's not, okay, what, what, what's, what's not working here? What do we need to change? I want to just take a moment to raise the expectancy of this room that God is alive and active. He is on the throne. He is doing miracles all over the world, all over the globe, but he's doing them here in Norfolk. He's at work. He's, I like to call it, he's moving and grooving. Okay? He's doing incredible work right under our nose. Sometimes we just need the eyes to see what he's already doing. Sometimes we need to hear what God is already doing and say, God, what story are you already, already playing out and how can my life be aligned to that will? What are you already doing and how can I jump on board with what you're doing? Because I want to see wonders. Change the atmosphere. Change the expectancy in here. Not just God can, 
He will. But I know what you're thinking. I think, Daniel, I prayed. I prayed for someone to be healed before. And they've not been healed. Anyone done that? Yeah? If you've ever prayed for someone to be healed, then you've obviously seen them also not be healed as well. But we've prayed for people and we've not seen them healed. The danger is when your experience becomes your theology. Well, I've prayed for someone, I've not seen them healed, therefore, my theology, what I think about God is, he doesn't heal. See, that's very dangerous. Whereas actually, your theology, what you think about God, needs to be based off here, and who he says he is. Well, God says he is healer. So just because I don't see it all the time, doesn't mean he doesn't heal. So when I pray for someone and I'm not seeing them healed, I somehow need to go into the next person with the same expectancy. That's also the challenge. You know, you've come out of this one situation, well, I haven't been healed, so now I'm going to pray for someone else. Gosh, and I'm, I can remember that from yesterday. Oh, right, okay, um, right. How do you get yourself in that right place again? To be like, no, hang on a minute. Well, if God's the same yesterday, today and forever, I don't know why that didn't happen. But I know I'm called to pray for you. I'm called to pray for this. We're called to obedience, not success. We're called to obedience, not success. I can remember standing in a classroom telling a story of God's miracle where I prayed for someone who had thick glasses, they took them off and they just started crying instantly because they could read at a distance. And I'm retelling this story in a, in a high school of a room full of, um, I suppose they would have been... 15, 16-year-olds. I hadn't even finished talking and one of the guys goes, all right then, you can pray for me then, sir. I wasn't a sir, I wasn't a teacher, but I was like, all right, thank you for the respect, I'll take you. But um, I was a little bit annoyed that he cut, cut across me, to be honest, but then I was like, wow, that's bold. And I was thinking, oh gosh, right, I'm now on and now. I was like, yeah, of course, I'll pray for you. And so he sat down, he was, he was sorry, I sat down next to him and I prayed for him. Nothing happened. I was like, that's okay. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus prayed twice for a blind man. The first time, the blind man goes, oh, I can see, I think they're people, but they're walking around like trees. And go, Jesus goes, oh, so I'll pray again. And he prays a second, I'll pray again for you. So he prayed again. Nothing happened. And I said some words, and I tried to leave them as well as I could. And we walked away as a group of us with so many questions. Why, oh why, God, did you not break into that situation? Like, if I was God, that would definitely be a situation that I would have broken into. Like, the whole class would have seen a bona fide miracle that they can't explain. There was a teacher in that room who would have been like, I don't know how to explain that either. That would have spread like wildfire through the school. I don't understand. And I'm sat there like in this weird, like, oh gosh, did I do it wrong? Did I, did, I, did I not use the magic words? Was there some magic words out there that I just didn't say? Should I have thrown some water at him or something? We don't know, do we? And I remember, it was actually my father-in-law told me that quote. And I think it was from Mother Teresa. We're called to obedience, not success. We are called to heal the sick. And I would say, whatever, if it's a person or a situation that doesn't look like, smell like, taste like heaven, then that needs to change. 
right? Have you ever known what needs to actually change? Have you ever looked at a person and you think, well, what I'm looking at doesn't belong in heaven, then it's not, you understand your job is not to get to people to go to heaven, right? Your job is to get heaven to come down to earth, yeah? So when you see a situation that doesn't look like heaven, that needs to change. Now, you, I mean, you, you know, and this needs to be a, with a bit of grace and a bit of, you don't just go running around like slapping people and, you know, like out in the street and all the rest of it. But listening to the Holy Spirit, discerning the will of God and courageous enough to go up to someone when you're doing your weekly shop, when you're doing in a cafe, courageous enough to be like, oh, do you know what, I've just, just noticed the Holy Spirit's just saying to do something. Or I'm, all of a sudden, I'm just, I'm conscious. You know, I'll stand at the back there this morning as we're going, and I'm looking at that playpen at the back, empty. How long has it been since you had a child in that playpen? Just be really honest. A couple of weeks. That's really good. I was looking the very new playpen. I'm looking at that playpen and I'm thinking, how amazing would it be for this place to be filled with laughter of children? I then climbed in. <laughs> and I didn't take my shoes off, so I apologise, but I climbed in. My first prayer was, Holy Spirit, would you keep me as a child? Never make me come into a place, of this is my first time speaking, never make me come into a place as I've got all the answers and I'm going to teach you. Holy Spirit, would I be the student? Always. Holy Spirit, would you keep me as a child? The faith like a child, would you teach me? Always. That needs to be our response. Always. Because we don't know. And when we go through situations in our life, Sometimes you go, well, yeah, okay, well, well, I did this last time, so it's going to work the same this time. Maybe, maybe not. Be as a child. Holy Spirit, would you take my hand? Would you lead me? Courageous enough to follow, but Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Be as a child. In all that God has to say to you, often we like to think of ourselves, well, I'm however old now, I've been following God for a while, and I'm pretty good. And then all of a sudden you hit a situation and it just completely floors you, and you have no idea what to do or say, and you go, God, I've got absolutely nothing, unless you come through. I've got no words to say, I've got nothing, until you break into this situation. What I want to do, because I have no idea what timing or anything like that, I want to pray for people, um, and I just want to ask you, really, do you want more of Holy Spirit in your life? Right, okay. Often it's quite a simple question, and normally I expect quite a similar response, but you'd be interested. Often a lot of people say yes quite quickly. And then the actual implications are, well, if God's going to start using you, are you going to go? Yeah, if you're going to say, okay, God, I want more of the Holy Spirit. Okay, are you going to be like a child and willing to change? If God's going to start speaking to you, are you going to be like, well, hang on a minute. That wasn't how it was 20, 30 years ago. So maybe this isn't God. What's your attitude like? Because I have to come out to it all the time. God, I don't, I don't want how I respond to God's to be what I put on to the next generation. Right? Because how they talk to that God so different. When you see a group, and I do it occasionally, I do this thing called going to the garden. And it's a, a kind of a meditative state almost. Well, I get you to close your I won't do it now. I'll get you to close your eyes and I talk you basically and you follow what I'm saying and it's a way people can go into the presence of God. Simple as that, right? But you can do it with children, and it's beautiful. I do it with adults, and I, I, I was asked to do it at a, one of our kids' groups. And I was like, why shouldn't I do it for them? It was incredible. 
what they saw. For so many of them, that was like, you know what, the first time I spoke to God. Then there was a few, the first time that God spoke to me. How precious is that? See, that's lost on us sometimes when we've been hearing God for so many years. Can you remember when God spoke to you the first time? When you heard his voice? When he called your name? And it was so strong it still had his breath on. And you go, wow, that's my saviour's voice. Going back to this 20-year-old who was now going off to uni, he'd never seen that, never heard that. The preciousness of the voice of God. Be like a child. Holy Spirit, would you come? Do a work in me first, so then you can do it in an area. My heart is for revival. I want to see the Spirit of God let loose upon the earth. I want the lions to roar again. If you don't like revival, you'll never like me, because uh, it's non-negotiable. I don't get how you can have the Christian life without Holy Spirit. I honestly don't. Without it, it is the most boringest thing in the world, and I refuse to give my life to it. So um, it's been good to see you worshiping this morning, actually. It's amazing. I've been to a few places, and the songs start, and everyone's just like, yeah, I'll sing, because we're told to sing. And I'll sing because it's, I don't know, what you do, isn't it? But there's nothing, what's going on in here? That's what, we're, that's what God's interested in. So I want to pray. Anyway, that's enough of me talking. I want to pray for you. Um, how are we going to do it? I'm just going to get you to stand up, if that's okay. Not that there's anything special about standing, sitting. Um, if you've been in around church again and someone starts praying for you, the instant reaction is the hands go out to receive. You can do that, um, but absolutely God can um, bless you, no matter how you are. Standing, sitting, dancing, laying, you name it. God's spoken to me in the weirdest places you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Cleaning toilets, out in the woods, you name it. God's good, isn't he? I'm just going to simply pray for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are a person. You're not just an idea. Thank you that you are ferocious. But at the same time, you can be gentle. Thank you that it's the very essence, the very presence of God that we are promised before Jesus returned back to heaven. Don't worry, I'm going to send you the helper. You can do nothing in this life without him. That's of worth. You can do nothing that is of worth without him. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in your glory. We ask you to come in your majesty. Come in your holiness. Come and rest among us. Come and fill our hearts. Come and fill us up. Lord, let us overflow. Come and breathe on us again, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. May everyone here know 
They are never too dirty to be used by God. There's nothing you have ever done, are doing, or will ever do that cannot be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings, that makes you a prince or a princess. That gives you an authority. So Holy Spirit, we should ask you to lay on a fresh sense of authority onto these folks. Father God, that wherever they leave, when we go from this place, where every door they knock on, whatever hand they shake, whatever conversation they have, Holy Spirit, would you go with them? Holy Spirit, would you change back to them? Come, God. Come, Holy Spirit. When they press olives to make olive oil, they do something which is called a second pressing. Once they've got out the first pressing, the olives go back for a second pressing. Maybe you'll stand there and say, well, I'm in my 60s, I'm in my 70s. God did something in my life and I was privileged enough to see it. Do you want the second pressing? Do you want to just sit back and retire and be like, oh, okay, well, let the... Hallelujah. Speak creativity over every hand in this room. May you know that it will look different how it looked before. But God is at work. I pray for every pair of feet in this room. Holy Spirit, would you direct them to the places, the people that they need to go to. Lord, this all comes out from that relationship that we are loved, that we are a child, we belong to you. He doesn't want to send out servants. He wants to send out heirs. We say, yes, Lord, send me. to move. We're expecting something to change. I want you to think about situations, family members that don't know Jesus right now. We expect something to change. For those people you've been praying for for decades, we expect something to change. We love you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.